Welcome to the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joey Brannon. I'll be hosting today with Cameron Earhart. And we're excited to have Kyle Clement with us. So welcome, Kyle. We're going to be talking about uh, basically specialization and niche marketing. And you're the man because you own a marketing firm. And so we're really glad to have you. Thanks for coming down. We're yeah, thanks for the to opportunity. So uh, I was introduced to Kyle by Cameron uh, a few months ago. And uh, and another mutual friend that we, we talk about Mike Thackeray so often on this podcast, we should just give him like a guest <laughs> guest hosting spot because he's always top of mind. But um, we had a chance to sit down with Mike and learn a little bit about your business. But just tell us a little bit more about you and Clemtech. Well, that's the name of your company. Yeah, yeah. So I have Clemtech and the vet marketing firm. And so we're a you know, digital marketing agency. And, you know, we say our mission is to be good stewards of everything our clients entrust us to, to grow their business online. And so um, we're doing, you know, websites, we're doing their, you know, PPC, their paid click, their paid Facebook, um, search engine optimization, content creation, you know, anything that's kind of involved in that digital ecosystem Mm -hmm. to help them kind of grow the business. And so then vet marketing firm is exactly what it says it is. You know, we (laughs) focus on, you know, veterinarians, whereas Clemtech's more focused on local businesses. And we have a really heavy emphasis on, uh, you know, doctor's offices. Okay. Yeah. So where we love stories, right? And everybody's got a great story about like how the business started. So like, tell us your journey. Like how long has Clemtech been around? How long has vet marketing firm been around? And what was kind of the genesis of it? Yeah, I'll def- start with Clemtech because that's kind of what led into and fed the vet marketing firm. But I, so right out of college, I was in, you know, a sales role and had a little, you know, side hustle too. It was actually, we were, um, renting bounce houses you know so like we'd go to like the festivals and stuff and and rent these things out and so at the time you know it's kind of the wild west of you know google was just getting started i mean this is probably back in you know 2005 2006 so it wasn't as big yet so i was still learning like website i didn't know that much about websites so we had you know hired a, a website guy to help us run the business and so at the time not knowing much, you really had to rely. I mean, this was like our trusted advisor. You know, you have your CPA, your attorney, and then your your website guy. And so we, for whatever reason, just kind of, you know, didn't hit off. I got into like a, a disagreement. He ended up like stealing the website from us, like <laughs> and trying to sell it back to us for like $250,000. So he like, I, he said like he needed my GoDaddy login to fix something, like our email wasn't working, something random, I don't remember. And so like, then he sells it back, to, then he's trying to sell it back to us. And like the business hardly even did that much in revenue total. Yeah. So so it was like I learned all the wrong things early on, and we ended up kind of losing the business over that because it was like we had lost the domain, we lost like where all of our leads were coming from, and it kind of became my mission that, hey, I'm going to help other business owners you know, not make the same mistake I did. Mm. So had some other jobs, but on the side, I was always doing consulting for websites, for digital marketing, and, and eventually in about – you know, so 2006, I worked for another agency. Um, no, sorry, sorry, 2009, and then 2011 is when I started Clemtech. And so from that, you know, eventually just niched down and, and had an opportunity to meet a veterinarian who was like, hey, you have the marketing, I'm a vet, maybe we should try this out, you know, maybe you could work for me a little bit. And uh, it actually ended up that we partnered together and kind of, so we had both running, you know, simultaneously for, and they're still running simultaneously, and they kind of feed each other and 
and work pretty cohesively. There, there's a lot of directions we yeah. could go down after hearing that, but I want to go down probably the, the least likely one. Let's go back to that side hustle and yeah. the bounce house. <laughs> so that's that a great, that yeah. a great that's incredible. How did that start? What was well, so I was doing sales and I like you know, but I always kind of felt like I was an entrepreneur, you know, right out of college doing sales. And so it was actually something that my, my dad was retired and he kind of had found this business. It was a, business that was like available for brokerage. And so he thought it was something that my brother would get into and that they would kind of like run together. And so I was, you know, I was over in Orlando, they were back in Tampa. And so they kind of got it started, but then neither one of them really wanted to deal with the day to day. So I was like, oh, maybe this is an opportunity. I kind of came in and, and took it over. I think my brother kind of did something else and did his own thing. So like, just kind of like fell in where I was like, hey, I can, I can do this. I know the the web stuff enough and maybe not as much as I, as I thought I did, you know? So, so very random, you know, but it was, you know, it was very, it was a unique opportunity. So whereas most people rented out bounce houses, this business would go to like a festival, um, you know, like the rib fest at the time. And so they would say, Hey, you don't have to pay anything to rent the bounce houses, but we'll, you just, you know, we'll charge, you know, bracelets for every kid that comes through like five bucks, 10 bucks. And so they'd make a lot more cash flow that way rather than just like a fixed fee. It was more, you know, every day they were getting some cash flow from the different you so, know, people coming through and so then they'd share a percentage of it with the festival. Okay. So did you feel like, you know, kind of growing that experience in that, that lit that entrepreneurial flame I, and inside I think, you? And I also had it, I was, you know, at the time when I was in sales, we were doing insurance and I love talking to business owners. I love the opportunity of like sitting across the table and like trying to solve problems. And I was like, but insurance was never the avenue that I, like I was really, I was good at it. And I think I, you know, I, I did really well my my first year just because I had a business development kind of brain and I was yeah. comfortable sitting across from business owners because I'd just been around that my whole life. But I just, the, the insurance was not the vehicle. So as I had the side hustle, it kind of became, it grew into like, hey, I do like this entrepreneur thing. I need to go out and try to, you know, do my own thing a little bit more. And, you know, that's that definitely led to it for sure. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. Love hearing those kind of stories of just. I mean, that's that's probably one of the more unique ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, bounce. Everyone, yeah, my friends, you call you like, you know, I, on weekends you'll hear I'm having to wake up early to go rent bounce houses. It's definitely, you know, definitely has some funny stories that <laughs> that go with that. So. Makes me wonder, you know, were it not for the the crooked uh, website guy, if you wouldn't be like the the bounce house king of yeah. southeastern United States today? <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows? You know, and like, a, there's definitely. It it seemed like because now it was funny like we rented a bounce house recently my son's too and so we rented a bounce house for him for his birthday in October and like I'm hitting it off with the like he has all the same stuff we're kind of talking about bounce houses you know but I didn't miss it at all I kind of you know I, I liked the side of the table that I was yeah. on for sure so you know, everything funny. happened for a, a very important reason so, yeah. well, so uh, it's interesting that um, uh, you know we're, we're going to get more into Clemtech and vet marketing firm. But there's like some serendipity in that whole story, you know, we'll call it Providence. And yeah. call it, um, but it's interesting that I got it all wrapped up here. It's interesting that you had a couple of changes um, and then you parlayed those into, you know, what you're doing today. Have there been any other things along the way? Because you're, you're very entrepreneurial. Like you're out, that probably wasn't your only side hustle. Probably like what, what are some of the other things that, that, uh, you like came across and you pursued them for a while, but they didn't quite get to where you are today. Yeah. I mean the, so with the, the web business early on, I, w I started with a business partner and he was big or I had, I kind of became like, he had a one man shop and, but he was selling websites. And so I was working with, um, 
a business. He was actually, they were the vendor for the business that I was working with at the time and helping them with some marketing. And so I was like, man, he's selling websites. He's kind of, I think this could become an agency. And so we, I kind of partnered up with him um, and he was just big on websites. And I, I always wanted to be more on the marketing. I like the idea of like recurring revenue mm-hmm. and more, you know, like the idea that, hey, like there's more than just building a website. Like it's, you know, you really need to build it. You need to manage it. You need to maintain it. And I thought we were just leaving a lot on the table by not helping people manage it and maintain it. Cause I, you know, just coming from my own experiences. And so with that, it, it just like, and, and plus we also didn't have the same core values at all. Like he, the way he wanted to run his business was not the way I wanted to run it. And so like we, the team, we were growing the way we were treating clients. So it was just a pretty easy decision to say like, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. let's just part ways. I'm going to go more of the marketing route. You can stick to the, the web design route that you want to go. And so, so that was like, that really came. And once that happened, I've, I've been in real estate, you know, and that's something I've stuck with, you know, like, and it's just, but that's more, you know, complimentary to what I'm doing on the, on the website side. And I've started some things, you know, here and there, I, I long-term, I'd love to be able to, I just love business in general. You know, it's so, it's so cool that people ideas that they have and yeah. kind of, you know, you guys get to talk about it and hear about it all the yeah. time. And it's fun just to see the different ways people can accomplish something and, and help people. There's a lot of ways to help people, especially in that you know, the world we're in now. So, so I, and as far as other things that have got going, I mean, we've, we've had some ideas. I think now, like we really stuck on the, like the, the ongoing marketing. Now we're actually starting a software that's going to complement our, our marketing efforts. And so that's probably, you know, the next phase is to have like a software that really complements what we're doing. So it's a little bit more, um, it just, again, kind of combines a lot of different things that are out there and makes it a little easier for these owners to, you know, accomplish what they want to accomplish and, and make it really, we're big on transparency. So it's also something that we think there's a need in the marketplace right now for, you know, like results-based marketing. And so that's what we're trying to, you know, shift to with the software. Nice. When you, when you talk about um, the different, so we'll, I want to save that marketing firm for like the next yeah. question or two, but, and Clemtech, um, when you started up, were there any uh, kind of milestones or breakpoints? Like, what were the growth, growing pains you experienced with Clemtech up to where you are now? Well, yeah, in in Clemtech, um, early on, I was like a solopreneur. Like, it wasn't true business; it was a job gotcha. that I was, you know, like I, I was probably more freelance or like kind of like a GC model, and I would sub everything out. Okay. So, so everything was freelance. So that that created its own set of challenges. I mean, like we were, you know, early on. A lot of our what we did, and just because this is kind of what I knew, but I would I would close a deal and then I try to like outsource it overseas, and so like I had relationships over there, um, and and there's some great talent, but it was like for the way I worked, it was tough for me to like manage those people and try to sell, you know, in business development, which was you know relationship building, which is probably more my strength, and then trying to manage the business. So like I I think one thing I didn't do is probably get like a project manager early on, and so like I was try I was really reliant on the tech that in the, in the developers I was using over there. So, so a big milestone for me was like bringing on that first employee, you know, like when I had a project manager, it just like, it really changed. It went from like having a job to having a business in mm-hmm. my mind, you know, cause like that's when you're doing it yourself and you're doing everything, you know, and even though you're like subbing some stuff out, you're still having to like front, you know, like handle the client and handle the, yeah. you know, the back end of the project management. So what was so. the trigger for bringing that project manager on? Because if entrepreneurs started with an, you know, a big bucket of money, you know, there's a chance that they may blow it, but really, I mean, it's kind of can turbocharge growth when you can go out and hire resources before you, you maybe you would have the capital from earnings to do them. But so like, what was the push pull for you? Did you pull the trigger a little bit earlier than you knew you had the money to cover it? Or did you just gut it out and grind it until you had the reserve and 
I, pr- I probably just grinded it to the point where I had enough like of the recurring, yep. you know, revenue that I was like, okay, I can definitely bring someone on and I see, you know, I can, you know, it'll force me to kind of hustle and, and get people on. So I, I didn't do, I definitely did not do it early enough. I mean, that's and like, I think you have to delegate the things you're not good at. I mean, that's, you know, as an entrepreneur, you can't be good at everything. You know, like yeah. the, the vision takes, takes so much more time and the sales and marketing and then, you know, just operations and, you know, finance, HR. I mean, there's so many different things that you have to deal with and it's, it's impossible to be great at all of them, yeah. you know? So, so it just kind of came to the realization like, Hey, I'm not providing the best, you know, services for my clients by not having someone to like kind of handle the, the day to day. So as we brought on more clients and, uh, that was definitely a big piece of it. And something we'll get into later, like with, um, vet marketing firm, um, I actually lost my business partner. We can, you know, we can talk about that too. Is like, so that, after losing a business party, it was like, I was forced to bring someone on at that point, gotcha. you know, and so it, it kind of circumstances really, really led into that. Yeah, he had, he had passed away, you know, kind of unexpectedly okay. and really kind of, you know, push came to shove at that moment. When you're, you're in a very technical business, yeah. right? The, there's a technical skill set that's required for you guys to deliver to clients. How far did you get pulled into the technical space? Because it's interesting. You said you like I was outsourcing stuff and I was pushing stuff overseas. So it seems like you tried to maintain some distance from the tech. Maybe because you're like I don't know what I'm doing. They're not yeah. going to get service. But uh, you know the E Myth talks a lot about that fallacy of well I'm I'm good at doing this technical s- skill, so I'll be good at running a business that delivers this technical skill, and it just doesn't work out. So how have you managed that? Yeah. I- I think I know enough in order to like be dangerous. You know, like I, I, I've always had the personality where like, if I want to, you know, like when we remodeled our bathroom, you know, like the first one, I want to try it myself first. And like, when I get to a point where I can't, you know, do it, or I at least want to know how to do it. Like, so I want to know how to put tile up on the wall. Not that I want to put every, you know, re- put every piece of tile up there, but I want to know how to right. do it just so I can like communicate it and talk about it. So I, like I had, you know, like built a website. I, you know, I kind of like hit my head against the wall trying to figure it out and, you know, but I realized that you know very quickly that I was not that was not my my strength. So I knew enough to like kind of talk the language, and then and then I read a book, um, and it was about you know IBM's project management. It talked about like the Iron Triangle, and so like you have um, development, like your your deliverable, your time frame, and your cost. And so like real on you, like you have it. So I would always talk to my developers this way, and I say, hey, listen. I'm either gonna like we're gonna pre-negotiate costs because you have a you know fixed rate or I have a budget that I guess stay under, but then we have two other variables, time and deliverable. So I'm either gonna give you a time frame and you're gonna give me a deliverable, or I'm gonna give you a deliverable and then you're gonna give me a time frame. And so that hmm. way I never really box you into, you know, this like you have to get this done by this time, unless it's something I've done and I know and I can I can coach on. So early on, that's kind of how I learned is I got to like figure out, Hey, here's the deliverable. Here's the time frame, or here's the time. And then I was just really big on accountability. Cause like, yeah. and I, and that's how I kind of chose who I was going to work with and who I wasn't going to work with. That's an interesting, I, I've heard that idea of like, uh, there's the, the, the way I've heard it is you can have it, you can have it good. You can have it fast. You can have it cheap. You yeah. know, like you got to pick two of those. You can't have all three. Um, and that's kind of what you're describing, but I've never, and that's always been relayed in terms of like dealing with purchasing something or an outside provider. It's, it's, it strikes me as interesting if you were to, when we work with leadership teams, you're working with a a business owner and maybe a controller and a sales manager and an operations manager. And, um, there are projects that come up, right? That the business owner needs this or that done. Like we're going through a, a merger and acquisition or a new software conversion or, 
And if, to go to those people and say, I can give you the deliverable and you can tell me how quickly you can get it back to me, or you can tell me how much time you have to work and I'll give you the amount, you know, what I want delivered in that amount of time. It gives, it kind of empowers them in a different way. All right. Cause I think a lot of times they hedge making commitments because they're have, they're being asked to do, to make a commitment on both the deliverable and the time frame, right. right? And so they, they, there's two opportunities to hedge. But if you if you take one of those out and say, okay, like this is the one that's going to stay fixed, and we'll make the other one fit within whatever that constraint is, it gives them an opportunity to to set the terms of like what they're going to commit to a little bit more. So. Yeah, and I think it, it creates a better culture, at least in our situation, and it like it doesn't put as much stress on them, and it you know like where they're having to get something done that day and stay until like you know ten o'clock at night, and it really helps manage expectations, right. you know, which is important for like when you're dealing with a client. And you can then say, hey, I will have this by this time frame because that's what we've committed to. And if not, then you, right. you know, that's really quickly to find the right person and, you know, get the right person on the bus. Very good. Let's talk about vet marketing firm. Because yeah. if you go to your LinkedIn profile, there's there's two businesses there. And that's always interesting where it's like such and such date to present, such and such date to present. You're like, what? They're running two businesses. So tell us about that marketing firm. So there's some serendipity of you run into the veterinarian. So it was a veterinarian that was, you were doing some, some uh, digital marketing and, and website work for? Well, actually he was a um, consultant for veterinarians. Okay. And so like I had the website company, I would work with the, a vet, but I, I'd actually worked with a lot of dentists. I have, you know, okay. some, some family who are in the, you know, dental field, they have a dental practice. And so I'd always been kind of around that. And so I understood that, that language. And so did, did some marketing and some, um, even did like a dental assisting school, you know, marketing and stuff like that. And so um, when I met him, we were kind of talking and he had a website that was um, online ask a veterinary service. So he was very familiar. He had built this, you know, like website with a contractor. So it had a very marketing savviness um, to him, been involved with some startups, but it was doing consulting for um, veterinarians on their group purchasing. And so he's like, Hey, I got these veterinarians. There's always a need for marketing. Maybe I can just like sub it out to you. You pay me a commission. Um, and, and it works out. And I was like, yeah, you know, we kind of hit it off and he was here in St. Pete or where I'm from in St. Pete. And, uh, so yeah, we, we started to talk it through. And then as I kind of heard like what his goals were and what his visions were, like, um, he was saying how a lot of vets didn't own their website. And I was like, well, that's like a huge passion for me. He's like other agencies own it and then like huh. sub it out or they like put their call tracking number and then they're selling the leads back to the, the vets. And so it was like very, like, there was definitely poise for like, man, there's some like this is kind of my, you know, this is an area we can help. And he had the contacts and great speaker, brilliant individual. And so I was like, maybe like, let's just start rather than run it through Clemtech, it might be cleaner just to like start our own entity. And so it was going to be, um, we had a third partner that was going to kind of join us and, you know, and it ended up, he didn't really want to leave his full-time job. And so the two of us, um, started this, this entity, which, um, and, and from there, it was really cool opportunity. You know, like we just, we saw it like right away, there was a huge need, you know, vets were like needed like transparent marketing. Like they needed to make sure they own their website, you know, all the stuff that it kind of, I had, you know, been with very, like you said, serendipitous from, you know, from prior. So we just started working and we were doing that. We were like building their websites, we were managing it, maintaining it. And then we were Google partners. So we were running like, you know, Google ads and then eventually, you know, added Facebook ads when that time came around. So just really big on like getting, so the big difference between vets and dentists is you just got to call instead of a 
patient, which a dentist is trying to attract, a vet's trying to attract a client because the patient can't go on the on the on the computer. And you know, in that's most your cases, next big challenge for marketing directly to yeah, directly the, to the dogs the dog. and cats themselves. Yeah, right? that'd be that'd be the you know the the uh, unicorn <laughs> if you could. So. But yeah, yeah. So so two entities, um, but shared employees. I'm guessing. Okay. Well, at first it was um, so that's I didn't have employees before working with him. So after it was just he and I, and then we kind of used some of my contractors and stuff like that. So he and I were just doing everything at first. He would actually even he liked to build the websites, which we tried. You know, had to get off his plate. You know, real quickly. Yeah. So it was just the two of us, and then that's what I said after. Um, you know, he actually passed away in 2015. So the business had been you know running for you know, three years or so like that. And then after that, then Clemtech, I needed to get employees. To, I always had kept Clemtech around because I just had clients and relationships. So after that, that's really when it was like, okay, I need to get an employee here on Clemtech. And then it ended up that those employees started working through both. Okay, so yeah. talk to us about some of the challenges that's presented. Yeah, and, and it is probably not the ideal. You know, at some point, um, maybe they merge together. You know, it's always just been like vet marketing firm is really, now it's become, um, since I've, completely purchased out the other half of vet marketing from everything like that. It's become its own entity, but it's like the employees are, are using both. So they're just, they, we have two separate ticket systems, um, two separate websites, but a lot of the work, it's the same processes that you're getting things done. I mean, like we, we have our systems for vets and we have our processes that work really well for vets. And then we're, it's, it's the same kind of stuff behind the scenes. You know, when you're trying to target new customers through the door, um, there's not a lot of like, you know, there's, there's not difference, right? It's the same kind of like the same, like, yes, you're going to change the offers. Yes, you're going to change the, you know, some of the conversions, some of the language and things like that. But at the end of the day, getting your offer in front of someone, you know, is really good. And if you let the vets do what they do really good and they let us do what we're really good at, which is being, you know, behind the scenes, it's a great relationship. And that's why we're able to work in so many different industries and stuff like that. So so really, Clemtech is the the entity that has all of our, you know, has our employees. And then Vet Marketing Firm has its own, you know, group and has some of its own employees there. So like there's certain things that we keep separate, but some of the development stuff like that, we definitely pull resources together to, to get them both accomplished. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that, that makes sense. So how do you, you know, as you're running both companies, you have both companies listed on your LinkedIn right now, you're wearing a vet marketing shirt. Yeah. So how do you prevent the, you know, Clemtech getting pigeonholed into the vet marketing firm and keeping them separate. So for example, if you're talking to, you know, someone who owns a concrete company and they're they're looking for marketing but you're you know potentially wearing a vet marketing firm yeah. how do you distinguish it how do you talk to changes shirts in the yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah no yeah there's i i have i have thought about that there's a story i love with uh the ceo of under armor when he was getting started he used to carry like two business cards and he had like the president card yeah. in one pocket and then he had the sales manager card in the other pocket <laughs> yep. so like depending if he was talking to a mom and pop he gave him the president so like hey you're talking to the owner but if he was talking to like you know sports authority or you know dick sporting goods he's giving them the sales manager card so they think that it's like a bigger company Love but it. so we haven't got quite that that creative it's just like with you know we have lead gen and a lot of stuff's done online now you know so it's like you're not going to as many people face-to-face and, and a lot of Clemtech is referral based and so people know me and I you know I, I think that marketing firm the fact that we have this niche site is a you know is a big bonus to what we're trying to do you know like so it's a it's a niche vertical it's almost like if you know someone's like hey we only work on you know Ford well we could probably still you know a lot of auto shops could still work on a you know Chevy or you know mm-hmm. a Porsche or something you know national or international you know but like at the end of the day it's like this this is our subset of who we really specialize with and and we're, we're really trying to shift that whole paradigm to saying like, hey, 
and I think the the goal for like 2022 is to really say, hey, like we fo- we work with like dentists, vets, dermatologists, and that's like, and then if if we if a friend gets referred to us, yeah, we're gonna help them, and you know, um, we do a lot of work with like restoration companies too, just by you know happenstance and just having relationships in those space. So as we develop relationships, we'll bring on the people. But I think because I've worked with so many businesses over the years, and I've like I've just talk to so many different business owners like as, as you guys can attest it's like if you know how to like discover the problem and you know how to like you know understand what their problems are and then yeah. and, and put the solution it doesn't really matter yes the niche is going to help you for marketing and it's going to help you to like become more omnipresence in the marketplace and like have more authority but at the end of the day it doesn't stop you from being able to work with like people in other industries because at the end of the day like what we're trying to execute is is very similar and there's some like google's best best practices and as long as you follow those you're able to you know Sure. To yeah. Accomplish their goals. So, so the it, you say niche, I say niche. So, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, but doing the vet marketing is clearly worked out well for you. It's growing. Yeah. Have you ever considered, like, wow, maybe I should do this in a different industry? Maybe I should have the dental marketing firm. <laughs> well, and, and that's what we're seeing now. Like we we do work with um, a bunch of dentists, and we're start. That's that's why I said I think, and we we're very very intentional about work in the dental space. I always, um, so like I said, my, my uncle and aunt, um, have a dental practice with multi locations. Um, we started working with them uh, a few years ago and I always felt like though, like before I work with my family, you know, like in the dental side, I, this vet opportunity was a way for me to like kind of prove myself for, you know, like, and it was like, it was and the, and that opportunity fell in my lap really, if you think about it. And yeah. so, so now I'm starting to see like, Hey, you have to find a natural market that you can relate to and that you can really understand and that you have, you know, like, you know, really credible, um, you know, testing grounds and stuff like that to like be able to accomplish your results and bring yeah. it to the marketplace. And so dentistry is probably the long, you know, like the, the long-term goal really. And, and now we also have an avenue into dermatology that we're starting to partner with. So like, I think there's so many similarities between the three, like to run an effective practice. Um, it's, it's, yes, there's differences obviously between dogs and humans, but to like, to run an effective practice, you know, medical practice, uh, you know, animal health practice, uh, you know, dental practice, you know, there's very, very similar common mm-hmm. sense. It's like the same thing to say, like, can you only work with a contracting company? No, we can work with a business because there's common principles that relate to all three of them. But, but the more niche we can be, I think the better it, it helps us to like serve that audience and just reach that audience. So, so potentially the bounce house marketing firm, <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. if they have the, yeah, if they can, uh, you know, you know, the inside track on that. <laughs> I know, I know it's been, if I haven't forgotten it, yeah, be, no, for sure. No, but yeah, we, we, we can go to co- like a lot of people want to stick to one niche and I get it. I think I have, I'm unique in that I've, you know, like I, I own real estate. I've probably, like, there's guys that have like, you know, HVAC marketing firms out there, but I've probably purchased more, you know, HVAC units in the last year than most of those guys have in their entire, their entire <laughs> life of running the company. So like, I've been through the process and like, I can, you know, when you can relate to those experiences, I mean, that's a big part of, part of it is like understanding their pain points. I understand their pain points because I've been on the other side of the table, you know, so like, you know, and, and everyone, so that's where I think it kind of allows me to work in some of these other areas. I've had, you know, like with these restoration companies, I've had a water heater explode in one of my units and, you know, water flood the property and I've had to get restoration and fans to dry it out. So I understand like those problems and how it goes through. And so, so I think that's where it, yes, I want to stick to the, the niche. And I think the long-term avenue is going to be again, the dental derm and vet, because those are so similar Mm. and we have a lot of great results and, you know, and we have a kind of a unique approach that I think can help us there. What, what's, um, I, I picture running multiple businesses. So I, I, 
dabbled for a couple of years in an online education business. And it was really my, like my redheaded stepchild of my business children. And so do, do you ever, how do you balance? Uh, I, I think I personally, just the way I'm wired, it, it's kind of like focus on one thing at a time. Um, but you seem to be able to, to keep a lot more plates spinning at one time. Do you have a, ch- is there ever a challenge of like, well, should I be more focused on this one or more focused on that one? Well, I think it's getting the right people in place is one, is that we have a great team and that's, I could not do it without the team. And that's the only way, that's why, you know, Clemtech was, where at first Clemtech was just kind of like a, hey, in case it was like a safety net, like in case that marketing firm doesn't work, I still have Clemtech, mm-hmm. which there's good and bads for doing that, you know, mm-hmm. but, but now it's like I have good people in place and, it's, and they're really like, they run the business. I run the business the exact same way. It's not like I'm trying to like run, you know, a marketing agency and a restaurant, you know, it's, I mean, these are two marketing agencies, like every, like we use all the same tech. I mean, it's, it's as different as like, I literally just have to have two screens on one. I have my Clem tech email and one I have my vet marketing firm email open. So I have Chrome open on here and Safari open on here. So I can just like check them at the same time. I have my QuickBooks. I have, I just literally have two different, um, you know, areas on there that can, you yeah. know, so it's like, it's, they're like literally running the exact same way. And so like everything's able to just be like, kind of, you know, copy and paste it over. I, I don't know if it would be as easy to like, you know, if you'd have to have really, really good people in place and, you know, that might be a longer term play to be able to do, like, if I wanted to have, you know, a marketing agency and then, you know, something can, you know, actually run a a veterinary office or something like that. So interesting. Yeah. So I I like how you're able to, there's there's a little bit of vertical integration in what you've done with the veterinary uh, niche marketing firm and Clemtech. Um, but there's also some horizontal diversification with the real estate and you obviously treat that like a business too. It's not, it's not as maybe demanding in your nine to five, but yeah. at two and 3.00 AM, it's probably demanding. Yeah, in other ways, yeah, but, there's been times for um, sure. So it, it's interesting how, if you, you know, as you look forward, you, you've mentioned a couple of others um, that, that would be more in that vertical integration space. Do you have any, I'm just curious to know, like, is there, is there an itch like an entrepreneurial itch, you'd like to scratch you're like well i really want to own a you know a classic car dealership or i want to own is there anything that's that you you're like man that would be a bucket list business to own i think i mean long term i would love to get it you know like i feel like my next phase i would i like the idea of buying businesses because i like to get in there and you know like that would be like a longer term um strategy i've always thought e-commerce you know like kind of the reason we're in the office space we're in is i always thought i'd get an e-commerce business in there and and I dabble. I did dabble. Yes, said earlier. I did dabble in e-commerce a little bit, and but it, it just proved more beneficial for me to do consulting for them than mm-hmm. actually to like get into the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of it. So, um, I really I do. I get shiny object syndrome probably like most entrepreneurs. <laughs> so like if you, if you told me a business right now, by the end of our chat, I probably could get pretty excited about about being into it. But over the years, I've tried to become more disciplined to to say no. So because I still see that there's so much opportunity and where I'm at. So I'm trying to avoid that, you know, too much of that. Yeah. But I, I think the e-commerce business would be something long-term. I, I like this idea of software. And then, you know, maybe if we really perfect this model with the with the, the niche agency, and now that we're doing, um, like I said, the dental, derm, and vet, maybe there's some, av- like, again, maybe we really try to narrow in and, and go after one of these other verticals. And like, we, we already have some, you know, really good um, with, with plumbers and restoration companies. And so that might be another avenue if we, you know, as we, um, we're getting great results there and, you know, yeah. can work on that side. I'm what, so we, we try to get businesses to niche as much as possible because we just see how it makes so many other things easy. Right? Mm-hmm. It makes your, your marketing easier. It makes your operations 
uh, playbook easier. But there's a lot of resistance to that. And um, so we were talking to a group yesterday, and they've identified kind of four business lines that they want to sell, four industries they want to sell into. And the question we put to them was, um, is there anything we need to do to make sure that our eye stays on the ball here? And their answer was no, because we make a lot of money from those things. And I was like, yeah, but is there the temptation that will that will be pulled away by other things? And it was like, well, no, because we make a lot of money from those things. And I was like, no, like maybe I, I was really struggling to communicate. And I was like, is it possible that we'll get distracted by other good things? Like other business will come our way, but it's not in one of these four industries. And we will, you know, we'll spend time and resources doing that instead of doing this. And they didn't see that as a problem because that's money too. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so we're going to have to circle back to that eventually. We just, it, it, we just kept running up against a brick wall, but that idea of, I think a lot of businesses fail to really specialize in niche because they say, oh, yeah, we want to do. So, for instance, we want to do veterinary practices and maybe Durham and dentist down the road. And so we're going to guys, you know, as we're marketing, as we're out there selling, as we're prospecting, we want those. Right. And then a contractor comes up, you know, or plumbing company comes up or law firm comes up and it's like, well, yeah, of course we're going to take that, that, yeah. that, they, that pays the bills too. And you, you look back after six or nine months or two years and you're like, we really haven't made much progress in dentist derms and vet practices. I'm curious to know, do you think, like, I'm always looking for what is the behavioral nudge or push or shove that will really commit somebody to that space. And you had a partner, right. Who was like, you know, he would get frustrated if you're like, yeah, we're going to go in all in in this vet space. And then you started selling to community banks, right? right, you're right, like, right. Oh, I'm doing community bank websites now. I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you said, we were going to do this together. Do you think that helped or, or would you have been doing this anyway? I, I definitely think it helps to like, you know, and, and with, within your, your niche, you kind of have to like, we knew that we wanted to work with multi-doctor practices that were doing a certain number in revenue because then they can like afford the services that we needed to help them get to that that next level. So I think the more um, micro you can go, the the better, you know, like because it's it's just going to help you with your targeting. I mean, now with like Facebook and LinkedIn Sales Navigator and Google Ads, I mean, you can really button down and target, you know, almost to the T, you know, who who it is that you're trying to to reach. So I think the better your message relates to that person that you're trying to reach out to. I mean, it's just that story, you know. If it's like, hey, we help you know, multi-location family dental practices, you know, grow their new patients. And we do that by finding out how much it costs to attract and retain um, those new patients. And then we find out their return on ad spend so that you can get that number lower. So like now we have like a very quantifiable metric. So like, I'm, I'm, I like the saying that, hey, it can't be managed if it can't be measured. So we come in and measure it first and then we, we manage it. So you're like, yes, that can apply to other industries, but we just have certain partnerships and certain things just to scale it's better when you can get a little bit more micro because it, those economies of scale are going to be easier. Now, if you have, like you talked about earlier, like an unlimited budget or unlimited funds to come in, like maybe you can put that proprietor in each one of those verticals to really own it. But if you don't have somebody owning it, who's going to be the authority in that space, I think it's just going to make it very, very difficult to, to, to get any kind of traction. You know, I think it's like if the more you can do the same thing over and over, it's going to make it better for your team, your mm-hmm. culture and everything else that you're trying to, you know, emulate. So when you're in the Clemtech, when you're wearing your Clemtech hat and you're going into a new business and maybe it is a, a contractor and um, do you find yourself like they're like, we need a we need a 
better website that's you know that we we know we need that but what we really want is more online leads coming in right and do you find yourself having to basically put on your niche consulting hat and say like well who is the customer we're going to go after because we can't it's we're not going to put a billboard up on the side of the interstate and and cross our fingers that we're going to get the kind of calls you want yeah and with with like google and facebook ads there's like specific ways to target like i i can you know like if, if you guys came to me and said like, hey, this is who we're trying to target. I mean, we can with it's going to take a little bit more time, but you know, and a little bit more like investigative questioning on the onboarding process. But like, we're going to be if you run a good business, um, we're going to be able to find out what makes your business great and and be able to emulate that online. You know, so like that's if as long if it's someone who doesn't run a great business, it's it's going to be tougher. You know, like whereas there's a, so there's a much longer onboarding process for someone who's not a dentist or a vet. Cause like we kind of have the blueprint mm-hmm. for dentists and vets and, and really restoration companies and, you know, plumbers, we, ca- we have that blueprint now because we've, we've seen enough of them and we've done it. So because, and, and again, we've done this for over a decade. So early on that, you know, made, you know, my, I don't have too many gray hairs, but the ones that do it's, <laughs> it's because it was, you know, crazy for, you know, just trying to like manage that. And you're, you're running around like a, you know, chicken with your head cut off at times because you're trying to figure it all out and you're having to go like, way above and you know like there's way more challenges way more stress but because we took that on early on and we were able to survive it i think it's given us that you know like entrepreneurial thick skin to be able to now now we know like hey these are the questions we have to ask to get the results that we need and these are the tools we need in place to get the results we need and then just like really really analyze the data so it's probably been tougher on my team whereas like my you know, they all say multitasking is not a great thing, but I've just learned to, you know, have to, you kind of have to do that early on as a, as an entrepreneur. And then, you know, like the, the deep work and all that stuff sounds, you know, great, but you know, it's, it's hard to do when you got a lot of yeah. different, you know, plates spinning and stuff like that. So, yeah. so it's a long way of saying, I think that like, because of our onboarding process, you know, it's, it's just going to take longer. It's going to be a little bit more in depth for someone that we've you know, maybe an industry we haven't worked with as much, but we're going to be able to figure it out if they're, you know, if they're running a good business and especially if they've already done some kind of marketing. So they have like a baseline for us to, to go off of. Cause like a lot of times we, the, the hardest situation is when someone's never done any marketing and they're like, Hey, we want more leads. It's like, okay, what have you done? Well, we haven't done anything yet. Well, it's like, it's very hard to like draw a lot. Like you can't draw a line unless you have two points. You know, and so like if we don't have that first point, that's like the baseline metric, it's very difficult for us to like forecast where it's going to go to. So in those situations, it's like, all right, we're going to have to like get as much data as we can. We're going to have to test the market early on, like test a budget. We don't know if this is going to be, you know, we, we can go off of like, hey, you should be spending three to five percent on advertising and just take like some baseline metrics that are, you know, good business practices. And then from there, we're going to have to say like, OK, let's try this. And it's very rare that someone's not doing any advertising unless they're a startup. But you get the idea, right? Yeah. So then then now we can just like have systematic growth and see what's working and what's not working. So it's just test a lot of testing, but then having, like I said, make sure you're measuring it so that you can manage it moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, but, you know, what's interesting is you said um, most people are doing some advertising, but I I don't see that much veterinary advertising or, or marketing, yeah. you know, or or – Maybe I'm just not in the market. I have a dog. I've got a beagle, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We've got our vet, and my wife takes him to the vet when he needs to go. But um, like, do you run into that often with veterinary practices where they're like, we're, "We've always been word of mouth," and but must my dream to open up a location, you know, in the next county over, and I don't know how to make that happen without something other than word of mouth. For sure. And right now, like during, um, you know, 
COVID, like everyone went out and got dogs. I mean, there was like, there was <laughs> shelters that were empty, you know, for really? like, which for dogs. I didn't even think like, about that, but yeah. it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. They're at home. They're like, hey, I'm finally at home. I can always get that dog I wanted. Yeah. So, so that like, so vets are busier than they've ever been. And a lot of great practices don't need to, to advertise. I mean, there's a whole another dynamic there where like, it's really hard to find talent right now. Um, veterinary, you know, like to hire veterinarians. Sure. So like their schedules are booked. I mean, they're burning the candle at both ends just to kind of serve the client base that they already have. Um, so, so that's again, you, and when I say marketing too, it's also like, Hey, making sure that you have, um, the number one position in Google maps, making sure that you have the number one position organically. Cause when someone does go to the career vet and, and now, especially in Florida, you have so many new people moving here. So when they get here, one of the things they need is a new veterinarian. So like to make sure that they're popping up in that top space. I mean, that's very, very valuable. You know, in my, in my book, I say the best uh, p- place to hide your dog's annoying squeaky toy is on the second page of Google. Cause no one's going to go down there and, you know, and find it. So, so it's like, you do want to have a presence if you have that growth and business mindset, but but to your point, right now, you know, vets are definitely in a in a they're very busy. And so like they're they're their conversation more needs to be like, hey, how do we attract the right kind of client? How do we increase our lifetime value of our client um, through maybe more like internal marketing, marketing our additional services, you know, like gotcha. the upsell words not nice in you know in the medical community, but it's just we get that, right? It's like how do we like provide more value and you know, better educate our customers so that the treatment plans and the, you know, the treatment of care is going to be able to accomplish what they need to accomplish and, you know, get us the better clients in the, in the door. Interesting. So yeah, it's, I guess, uh, when, when you say marketing to the layman, a lot of times the first thing we hear is advertising, Yeah. but really lifetime value of the customer is all about, do they know what you can do for them and how well you can do it and when you can do it and how you're going to do it. Right. And so that's why we, we like to a big part of us is how do we attract and retain customers, you know, mainly clients and, you know, for vets and patients for, you know, for dentists and, and doctors. Cause like once, you know, a big part of that is like, you have to communicate with them and, you know, you have to stay front of mind just like anything. Cause like you might, you know, have gone to the dentist and when you had a toothache and then, but you're not going in for the, you know, the compliance, you're not going in for like the regular cleanings and stuff like that. So that's an opportunity for you to educate them on the dental health and, you know, what they need to be doing to make sure that they're coming in twice a year and that they're using their, if they have, insurance they're using it so there's other, like marketing to your existing customer base like your database mm-hmm. is is really important for these practices so i want to switch gears a little bit and yeah. just talk about uh, not switching gears a whole lot but just specialization and niching in particular and let's say that you were uh they weren't it wasn't in the digital marketing space or the, or the marketing space at all it was just one of those things where um, somebody came to you advice maybe a family member or somebody and like hey i've got i'm, I'm an electrician um uh, I went out on my own a couple of years ago. Now I've got two or three trucks. I, and and you you make the case for specializing, you know, mm-hmm. like and, and like, well, okay, maybe I could specialize in um, I don't know, like whatever. What would your advice be? Maybe in identifying like where you should specialize or what the first steps would be to not just being a general electrician who does everything from installing ceiling fans to running wire for new houses but like having a, a defined spot in the market where they were kind of king and everybody knew about them. Yeah. And, and I think part of that is like the story helps, you know, so like if they had like a family member who had, you know, X, Y, like they, they got, they became an electrician for some reason, either like maybe they went to school, they worked for another company and there was like a certain av- something that they really liked and they're, they're really good at. So the, the more that you have that, you know, that passion and that energy, I think it's going to resonate and it's going to like, 
you know, resonate with the person that you're, that you're talking to. So like, say, say they want to go, you know, like, and right now, you know, maybe like dental offices in their market are growing like crazy. They're building new dental offices or, um, you know, right now we're seeing like, you know, in, in Florida, you have all the, you know, like different storage units or so like they, they find a, you know, a, a blue ocean, if you will, like something where they know that there's opportunity here. Like, you know, so they, they talk with someone, they talk with their network. And so they have an opportunity to like grow in that path. I think if they can like become experts at that side, like say the dental example, like they say like, Hey, we, we did a new dental office and we know now all the challenges that are associated with like wiring a new dental office. And so that's an avenue where like now when you go to the next one, they're going to be able to come to them with the pain points. Like they're going to be able to identify that pain. And they're going to be able to like identify, you know, hey, these are some of the problems you might not have thought of, you know, or these. So like the more they can like systemize that approach, it's going to it's going to come out when they're trying to like win the business. And then I think that story, you know, it's going to give them more confidence and more conviction. And I think in any sales transaction, it's like whoever has the most conviction is going to be the one who ends up like, you know, winning or closing that conversation, yeah. you know, whoever has the most conviction. So as you, like that's going to build their confidence. So I think if they're trying to like specialize down, like they one, they got to find something that they resonate with and something that kind of like fills their tank, whether it's, you know, just if they're just motivated by money or they're motivated by the industry or if they, you know, so I think if you find your natural market, that's going to be, you know, a really, really big help. And then having a few examples, like whether you have to do some stuff for cost or just get your foot in the door, I think that's a huge way, you know, like everyone's heard the analogy of like, you know, sweeping floors or, you know, just to get your foot in the door of a, mm-hmm. a big corporation. I think, you know, with a trade or with any business in particular, there's a lot of opportunities where you can like test, like you've got to find a, a really viable testing ground. And so when you find that viable testing ground, you're going to find out real quick, like, hey, is there a need? Like, is it is it profitable? And is this something that I can scale? You know, yeah. so like look for scale, which is going to be, is there, you know, enough other people doing what you need to do so that you can uh, grow it? And I wouldn't worry as much about the competition because yeah. I think there's, you know, there's tons of competitors in every industry right now, but if you do good work and like you're honest and transparent and you know, that's going to win at the end of the day. What's interesting when, in what you just described is you didn't talk about, so if you're going to be an electrician wiring dental offices, you didn't talk about uh, making sure you go and you get your low voltage certification too, or that you get your, you know, you can run pneumatic tubing alongside your whatever. Like you didn't talk about like the technical skill set. You talked about, can you talk to the new dentist who's about to open an office about what their pain points are going to be? So you're like, you went straight to like, how are you going to differentiate yourself in the sales process? Because unless you can sell, you will never get the chance to develop the technical competency. But I think it's easier to send people off to school to get certified or to research distributors of whatever specialty product it is that we're going to need and we get to get certified to sell that product than it is to actually go out there and sell when I, when I was doing the online stuff, I had a coach uh, who really encouraged me to do it. And then I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to pay you and you're going to tell me how to do it. And yeah. so he did. And one of the best pieces of advice he gave me is he said, it, when, it, before you sell this premium course and you start charging people thousands of dollars to go through it, you got to get 10 credit card numbers. And he, and he goes, I don't want you to build the first piece of content. I want you to call people and tell them what you're going to teach them. And when you get 10 credit card numbers, then you'll be able to, to develop the curriculum. And it was in the course of probably 30 conversations or 40 conversations to get 10 credit card numbers that I started to figure out exactly what you're saying, the pain points. Like, yeah. what are they frustrated by? What language are they using? How are they um, running up against a brick wall? And what is the piece of information that they think they need that's going to make a difference, right? And so I, I loved your answer because it's, it's counterintuitive to what we see in the field, which is 
hey, we want to move into this segment of the market. There's this new product that's going to revolutionize the industry. We want to be the first ones. And they send people off to school and they get certified and they come back and they can't sell it. And three years later, it's like, yeah, we got a we got $150,000 worth of equipment sitting in the corner of the warehouse that nobody has put to use. Right? Well, and for sure. And then you and then you start like commoditizing your services, whereas like you really want to be focused on the value side of the conversation. Like you want to make sure that we're focusing on how much value we can provide you and not, hey, this is what we do, just the commodity piece of it. Because then someone can always come in and just charge a lower price and a lower price to do the same thing. But if you're really focused on the value that you provide, then like you can bring in the technician. And so I think that's also to our earlier point is like you got, if that's not your skill set, you need to make sure you have that skill set because that's, that's almost as difficult as just being able to execute on what yeah. you're, you know, what you're talking about. Well, and you said it earlier too. Sometimes when you're first starting out, the value proposition is cheap. Mm -hmm. Like we'll do it at cost because we're, and like the other thing I loved what you said, like if you're transparent, like if you go to, and we've advised clients to do this and seen them do it and say, go to a customer and say, look, we're trying to get uh, a, a toehold in this market. And we got some crews and they're going to be learning along the way. We're going to do this job at cost for you so that we can, and you're going to benefit, but understand that we're asking for you to be patient too, because yeah, it's yeah, our yeah. first time. And, um, and you don't have to fake it till you make it. You can just be transparent with them, but deliver value. It may be in the form of a cheaper price at the beginning end. Yeah. Yeah. And let them know, Hey, if it's, if it's something like electrical, you probably need to make sure you have a mentor or someone who's right. coming into check, you know, there's going to be, you know, inspectors and that kind of stuff. You won't so. get shocked. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and have your liability insurance <laughs> right. and you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, so anything you would, um, I'm always interested to ask this question. You, from an entrepreneur's standpoint, there was a, there was a time when, uh, you went out, I don't know. I don't was there, did you leave a day job at any point to start your own business? Uh, yeah, I did. I was with, you know, when I was doing sales and insurance, I had, you know, I had the opportunity to like kind of open my own office in the insurance space and I had to really, you know, make a decision. And then um, actually right as I was getting, when I left my, the, the other, the first, it wasn't really an agency. It was like another guy that I was just working with. Um, he was the owner. I was kind of the VP. Um, I actually, right as I was starting my web business, I got offered a to open up a Chick-fil-A in uh, Wheaton, Illinois. And so I was, you know, I got, I went through the whole process at the time. I didn't know that happened. I didn't <laughs> know, I thought you had to, you know. Work your way up. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought you had to travel. Back, to... this was back in like, so just right before the agency started, you didn't, you didn't have to do that. But they, they said, hey, if you work, what what their offer to me was is that I could work for a year in St. Pete under there and then, and then I could go open up a store in Chick-fil-A. So I went through the application process. They came, they flew down from Atlanta and talked to me. So I had this like, big decision. I mean, like Chick-fil-A is like a yeah. sure thing or, you know, start my own, you know, web development agency. And so it was, you know, kind of, that was like the biggest, you know, like which path are you going to choose? And so I chose obviously, you know, the web development. So what's so, the thought that goes through your head now every time you drive by Chick-fil-A? Well, <laughs> honestly, at, so at first they told me, you know, I was, and, and back in the day I had the opportunity to like, you could go directly into opening a Chick-fil-A. They, you know, because of my age and experience, they said, you know, they asked me a question at the time and I, I said some answer like, I like the idea of being able to like, you know, go home and shut the day off or something like that. And they're like, well, as an entrepreneur, you don't really ever get to, to do that. And I think maybe I was nervous at the time or yeah. not answer the question. So like, I think about that question all the time because I'm like, man, now I never turn it off. You know, it's like, it's always on. Like, it's like, I mean, I, I don't have to set an alarm clock most days of the week because yeah. I'm, I'm up and, you know, ready to go. And so like, it, that, the, they asked me that question. And I was like, it was so like, 
there's so much foresight in that where like at the time, yeah. you know, I was thinking like, oh man, maybe, you know, I like the idea of, you know, like with a Chick-fil-A, you kind of, you know, it's run. It's like, I was kind of saying like, hey, it's structured and, mm-hmm. but really when you run a business, I mean, you're always, it's always on your brain and yeah. it's always thinking. So I think that like, as I drive by, it's definitely motivation because I know, you know, how successful Chick-fil-A operators are. And so it's like motivation to, to do this. But then I also see like how, you know, when you own your own business, there's no cap on it either. Not that there's necessarily, I don't know what the caps are on Chick-fil-A, but I imagine (laughs) it's different as a, you know, you're not, I'm not a Truett Cathy. So, you know, I'm not going to ever, you know, (laughs) you know, own the whole franchise or anything like that. So So if you're, uh, if you're giving advice to, to somebody who was in that day job and whether it was, you know, Chick-fil-A option or business option, but they were like, towing up to the edge of the cliff wondering whether they should jump off like what kind of advice would you give somebody I think now there's so much knowledge out there like there's there's probably someone who's doing what they're already doing and that person's probably more willing to talk to you about it than they think you know like there's probably some fear saying like oh I want to start I want to start my own uh, you know electrical company or I want to become an electrician but there's but no electrician will tell me because he's going to think I'm a competitor or something. But that's not, I think people are, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners in general are much more willing to like, you know, pour into, you know, I think there's like a, you know, a mantra. You just let, you want to pay it forward and you want to, you know, give back. I think the more entrepreneurs we have, the better for it is for the world and society. I mean, more job, all that kind of stuff is going to come. And I think entrepreneurship is the backbone of a lot of what, you know, made America as great as it, as it did. So I think, you know, get over that fear first, you know, like, I think your example is great of like, go out and get 10 credit cards, like get out of your comfort zone and, and, you know, test the waters a little bit. I mean, depending on your personality, like some people, it's great just to like dive right in. Like you can't have a safety net, Mm -hmm. you know, because like you got to like completely cut the cord and go out there and you're going to, you know, sink or swim. So make sure you have, you know, like don't put your family at risk and don't do anything, you know, stupid on that side of things. But but for some people, you can like test the water. Like maybe you started as like a side hustle. You know, if you want to get into, you know, digital marketing, you can get a few clients and still keep your day job. You know, like the, the whole adage of the, you know, when a bookkeeper wants to become an accountant, they got to take night school to, you know, get those classes if they want to be able to pay the bills and stuff like that. So, yeah. so I think there's those two paths that you can say. Like, you know, for some people, yes, cut the cord, go in, make sure you have, you know, like don't put anyone at risk. You know, like do that kind of stuff. Make sure you have like a, you know, safety net. But for others, like maybe you just need to like kind of take a more, you know, systematic approach. You need to just get a side hustle or, you know, like do something in that space or, and definitely talk to people. There's so much yeah. <laughs> information out there. I mean, it's such an easy thing that I think people just forget. They don't go and, and find the pain points. They just jump, you know, jump right in. So. <laughs> well, to that point, um, I had a, a friend's father call me out of the blue the other day and he just starts rattling off question after question about consulting, about Axiom. And he, he's asking me 50 questions. And so I'm just answering his questions, not really thinking twice about it. And then eventually I'm like, okay, well, this is turning into an interview here. So I go, hey, uh, hey, John, what, uh, why are you asking me all these questions? Just curious. And he goes, oh, I'm thinking about starting a consulting business. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you live in my area. <laughs> so like, that's one way to do it. Just tell them at the end of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, possibly. But you probably, probably, he's probably not going to be able to go back to that well. You know? <laughs> it's the second time. So That's great advice. Uh, and it's not advice that I've, you know, it's unique. Uh, nobody's uh, said that before. And I think it's, uh, if there's one thing that can put you there's such a competitive strategic advantage in having mentors, you know, people that, so like imagine that conversation with a seasoned electrician that maybe runs a business. He hasn't been in a truck in 15 years because he's got 30 of them on the road or whatever. And, and he convinces you to like, do it, you know, Joey, jump off the cliff. Like you think that person's not going to be vested in you? Like, 
hey man how you doing yeah. you know like oh i can't get any i'll, I'll we'll give you some business like we'll figure out a way that you you have these kind of natural allies because you've gone to them and said hey like can you would you help me and i totally agree i th- i think um th- the there are very few People are aware of competitors when they're the same size, right? So, or, or close to it, but nobody looks at somebody who's getting ready to start a business and, and be like, I'm not going to tell you anything because you might take it. Right. They're not worried about that. Right. Yeah. So, and, and in general, uh, I will say that business owners, we get to work with a lot of business owners and that, that's probably the most fun of what we do. Like the actual characters that we work with, because some of them are characters. They're, right. they're eccentric, they're hilarious, they're, um, all kinds of things, but they also tend to be some of the most generous people you'll ever meet. And, and I think it's because if you're selfish and greedy and you aren't good at identifying what other people want and need, you tend not to last very long, yeah. right? The, the best businesses are the ones who figure out what the customer wants and needs and figure out a way to get it to them. And if they want repeat business, do it in a way that builds a relationship. So business owners, by and large, are just incredibly generous and gregarious and willing to to help to a fault. I guess the other thing that we see is like, man, like how many chances are you going to give this person? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, just one more, just one more. So I like your advice. I would definitely encourage people to listen to you and say, if, if you've got an itch to go out and do something, start going through the phone book or, or Google and, and, and call people and just say, hey, could... I take you to lunch or could we meet for a cup of coffee? I'm thinking about going into your industry and I'd really respect your opinion if you could help me. Yeah. And if they, and, and sometimes it might not be right then, but the, you know, like if someone isn't willing to do that, go find the next person. Yeah. There is someone who's going to, you know, it's like, and yeah. that's going to teach you that tenacity that it takes to be successful and, you know, knock on the next door and, yeah. you know, learn that no is the second best answer and find that golden yes, you know? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, let's, um, I really thank you for your time. It's been cool to hear your story and all the nuggets of wisdom that you've learned from it but we also want to take the the opportunity you're like you're an expert in the industry so we always want to get smarter you know and give our clients and the people who are listening a chance to get smarter so when we have somebody who is an expert in the industry one of the things that we always want to ask is what trends are you seeing in your space right now that would be helpful for our business owners to know yeah definitely so i think you know right now i mean it is a pay-to-play market, and so so what that means is like Google and Facebook are not charities; they're not nonprofits <laughs> in any sense of the word. I mean, their their job is to you know maximize their return and maximize their profit. And so so you you back there was businesses back in the day that could just you know rank on Google and become you know make millions and millions of dollars, but that's becoming more and more difficult to do because Google, if you look at the homepage. You're starting to know. You're starting to see ads, ads. If you look really closely, I mean, Google wants to make sure that they're able to capture that click, and like, and more and more, they want the transaction to take place off of your website and on Google. So before you'd find a website, they'd click to your website, and then you would be able to track that conversion, and you know, like, and remarket to them and retarget them. Whereas like now, if Google can make the transaction happen right on Google. Like if you're able to book an appointment or book a call or book something right from Google, they can own that transaction process and now they're able to charge for it. So, Mm -hmm. and then what you're gonna have to get really good at is being able to make sure that you're paying, 
you know, and, and Google has like years and years of data. I mean, probably whatever comes after trillions, you know, like, you know, in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of data, you know, trillions of data points that they're able to like base this off of. So they, they probably know your cost to acquire a lead more than you do. And so they're probably charged, like their goal is to arbitrage, right? They're trying to charge just enough so that you're having to pay more and then they're making money on that spread. So, so you got to get really good at your cost to, you know, acquire leads. And you also have to make sure that you're, you know, really capturing your customer's data. Cause like newsletters are still like newsletters and text messaging. Text messaging is another big trend on how you can communicate with your customers. That's a way where you can then get the transaction away from Google, at least the follow-up transaction. You know, it's very difficult for Google to get paid on that second dairy mm-hmm. transaction, but that's where like you can pay for that lead to come in and then you're able to remarket to them and, you know, market to them internally. So I think those would be like, you know, pay to play and make sure you're capturing data because that's going to make your next cost to acquire that customer and like your your upsell or your resale is going to be much more um, economical. So there are, uh, so we do, uh, we have several businesses that are what we would call like blue collar fleet businesses. So there's an office administrative component and then there's a field labor component, whether mm-hmm. it's technicians servicing air conditioners or plumbing or, or roofers or whatever. Um, so there's all these other platforms, whether it's house or next door or goods or, um, so what are you seeing? I'm just curious, like, what are you seeing in, you know, Google and Facebook are like the 800 pound gorillas. Are there any 200 pound gorillas that are, that are coming? That's, that's tough. Cause I mean, Google and Facebook usually tend to buy those ones up, you know, if they, if they're really, or, or, you know, like right now in those spaces, there's something called Google local service ads. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, yes, Google's the, you know, 800 pound gorilla, but you know, Google local service ads is putting a lot of those like home advisors and houses. I mean, they're, they're really trying, I think they, they saw the dent that those had to their revenue. Gotcha. And so they're trying to come out and, and, and wipe those out and get paid, you know, directly rather than those companies making money. So, so Google local service ads, if you have, um, Google local service ads in your industry, that's probably one of the most, you know, economical things you can do to attract new customers right away. If you don't, you need to be on the radar and find out when they open it. Cause like the sooner you're into, you know, that the first adopter, um, into Google local service ads, then that's going to you know really help you out. And then as far as, you know, social media is concerned, I mean, like that's, that's the thing, you know, you got I think people are spending almost too much time on just, um, organic social and not enough time on paid social. Like you're, you're spending all this time because social media was the same way. I mean, you could just post and get people to like mm-hmm. buy into it. But now if you don't have influencers and you're not doing paid ads, I mean, that's, yes, you still need to have a presence on those if your audience is spending time there because it's just another way that you can keep your brand for relatively mm-hmm. inexpensive. But think of those as like ways to, especially the industries you're talking about, think of those as ways to syndicate content and not maybe like where your content roots. Like you want your content to root where your customer's spending the most time. And then those are areas where you're just maybe picking up some of the, you know, ancillary pieces. So I, I'm thinking as a consumer for a home service, or even if I was looking for a, you know, a veterinarian office to go visit, and I'm probably like most consumers, I'm going to Google it. And then like you said, I'm gonna look at, you know, those top three that are showing up, maybe click the expand and see the top 10. But then I'm looking at reviews yeah. and I'm just, okay, who's got the most and the highest review and reviews? and clicking into them, reading some of the best ones, some of the worst ones and make my decision based off that. How much is it coming up with strategies with your clients of this is the goal, this is where we need to get to with Google reviews and this is how we're gonna do it? Yeah, reputation management is huge and we're always trying, I mean, we're really, really big on, you know, like that's that's now, I think when businesses go to sell, 
in five, 10 years, like, you know, you, you look at your, you know, profit and loss, your balance sheet. I think that your reviews is going to be its own tab on there. Like the amount of reviews you have, the amount of, you know, like reputation is so important. Um, and so we really focus on that strategy. I mean, you have to have a software in place that's getting you hmm. um, reviews. That's what our new um, software, the new software we're kind of creating is going to help with a lot of that kind of stuff. But there's a ton of them out there that are really, really good. Um, I think you have to even go the next step. Like, you know, we like to, you know, print up business cards that have a QR code on there that let them leave a review right away. Um, you know, if, if you if you can record a video on your phone, just send it to them asking for a review. I, do, I don't think people put enough effort into asking for that review. They say, hey, we tried. We, we sent them an email. We sent them a text. But just like if, you know, like if you just gave someone a, you know, flyer and you don't follow up with them, I mean, you're missing out on a lot of sales because you have to like, just like you have to nurture a lead that's coming to the business. I think you have to nurture a review to make sure they leave it because it is so valuable. Like you said, there's, there's so many people that are out there, you know, skimming the reviews. Um, and, and it's also a way that, you know, so many people get bent up on the negative one where if you just spent time getting five positive ones, now you have an 80%. Yeah. And then, you know, you get 10 positive ones. Now you have a 90%, you know, like score. So like, that's, that's just a focus on getting the good ones. Don't, Focus is bad on the bad ones because there's even studies out there that say like a 4.8 out of 5 is better than yeah. a 5 out of 5 because it shows authenticity and then how you respond to those negative reviews. They get to kind of see like, oh, this person, I get people for the most part, the kind of people you want to be working with, they get it that some people are going to have a bad day yeah. and they can like critically process that themselves. And so by having um, the response on that review of how you dealt with it, they're getting to see how you deal with them in case they had a bad situation. And so it, it, it's worth its weight in gold. I, th I think one of the best things that's happened in popular media, social media, in the, probably the last two to three years is the Carol, uh, the Karen and, and Carl phenomenon. Like all these people just acting like total idiots and on YouTube or on, you know, whatever platform, and now when you read reviews, you're like, oh, I know exactly what kind of person that yeah, is. Right? Yeah, for sure. And then you see, like to your point, if you see uh, a general manager or a business owner or whatever, respond, like a sincere response of like, we, we would like to make it right, you know, but you're like, oh, well, I would rather do business with somebody. Like, I kind of, I think I know the kind of person they're dealing with and they're still being gracious. I really, it's almost like those bad reviews can can validate as much as the five-star review can. And, and as an owner, like look at the reviews to like monitor your own business. Like if you're getting a lot of negative reviews, like there's probably something yeah. wrong and there's something you need to dive into. Like, you know, like use that as a, you know, as a mirror to kind of reflect on what you're doing and your, some of your business practices. So yeah. I think that's a, you know, a good thing to see, to see also. But yeah, there's a great, one of the TV, you know, night show host like reads the negative reviews, like for, oh. you know, like goes through reading. It's, it's great. I'll have to send the link and, and find <laughs> okay. it, but it's, it's hilarious seeing some of the owner's responses. And, you know, when you, when you read it out loud, it just may, you know, it's, you gotta, you can only laugh at some of these. They're so, so ridiculous. I always but, think it's so funny when they, they argue back with the customer yeah, in their yeah. response. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. It's like, you always want to take it offline as yeah. quick as possible. Like yeah. you don't want to air your dirty laundry. Like you don't want to give me a call you know, at this number. Exactly. I'd be happy to discuss and this quick with you. prompt, you know, um, deal with it. And so w what are some of the more common mistakes you see small businesses make when they get into marketing? Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of businesses that like have this big advertising Budget, like they're like, oh, we're willing to spend, you know, we can spend 10000 a month, 5000 a month, you know, $50,000 a month. And then they're not tracking the data and all the different data points. So like they're, so like, they're like, oh, we only pay, you know, we paid, 
50, 60, $70 per click and we're not getting any results, but like then they're not putting call tracking in place, which is very inexpensive mm-hmm. for in like auditing their staff, auditing their front, you know, like they just like, oh, our, their team's great. They're, they're doing this. So they're not doing, putting the things in place and they're not like going through and like checking early on how well, like what's working and what's not working. So um, I think it was the CEO of Fidelity or one of those. He used to go like once a quarter or once a, whatever the time frame was, he would go to the call center and like listen to the calls. So he actually got to hear from the front lines, like what's actually going on. And I don't think enough um, people who are starting a big marketing campaign are doing that. So they might be spending 10,000 a month. And then like the first thing it's, they say is like a new client calls, they just spent $70 for this lead. And the first thing they say is, can you please hold? Like that's the first thing you're saying to a person that you just spent $70. I mean, that's like throwing that money out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I th- one of the things that hopefully we see more of is access to better tool, better tech tool sets for small businesses. So like a call center um, would have an integrated system that I that can identify the incoming caller, pull up the CRO record, and, you know, you can see the last purchase, you know, existing issues, fulfillment in process, that kind of stuff. And we started to see more and more of that. A lot of the cloud-based solutions, uh, we've a client that – um, talk about somebody who's a, a business that's focused on niching service Titan got yeah. really, really specific about, uh, you know, if you got five trucks, you know, we're the, we're the software platform for you. And they, the, the client that we work with has way more than that, but you know, they've, they know like where the gravy's at, you know, and it's a, that small contractor, but these tools are phenomenal. It's all in the cloud. Every phone calls there. You can listen to it. Uh, you can, you know, identify the record coming in stuff stuff that would have cost five hundred thousand dollars to implement for a 200 person business that wasn't touchable they they wouldn't go that because it, it was a twenty thousand uh person business or a ten thousand person business that would invest in these tools now you can have it off the shelf for you know a hundred dollars per user per month or something like that yeah it's, yeah it's very very and that, that, those kind of things are changing the way but make sure you're using it right you're tracking all yeah. these calls like make sure you're using that data and like you're you're setting benchmarks and making that part of your goals and well, the call tracking number thing is amazing yeah because you know, we've walked into businesses before and you know like do we have call tracking numbers well, i think so you know somebody's somebody had them around here at one time so we start reaching out to all the the different partner channel partners that we have, whether it's radio or television or internet. And it turns out we've got like 50 of them, yeah. right? And they're all coming in, right? But nobody's looking at the logs to see. Or do they have one call tracking number? And now it's like, well, how, like, you know, that's, it's just, <laughs> right. you rely on human error, you know, at the time it's like, oh yeah, we got most of our calls from Google. Well, yeah. was it Google ads? Was it Google maps? Was it Google organic? You know, like now you can put a different number for each of those yeah. and mm-hmm. it makes the reporting super transparent. Do you have any tips or tricks for that, that ubiquitous question? Like, where'd you hear about us from? And, you know, we go into the logs and, it, you know, like 80% of them are other. Yeah, I think that you have to make, like, put a huge emphasis on the, on the whoever's answering the phone. They have to have that follow through. And that just has to become, like, part of the job description. So, like, I mean, and you have to, you can't wait till the end of the month, excuse me, to check on that. You need to be checking on that regularly, right? Because you need to be, like, going through and seeing, like, okay, this, you know, they didn't keep track. Like if, if a bunch of them are other, yeah. they're probably just aren't asking. Right. You know, they're just like, oh yeah, we got this person. They're just checking. It's not an inconsequential piece of information, but right. on the screen, it just looks one more field I got to fill out. Exactly. And but that, I think you got to make sure like you just have to, that comes through training and education and like letting them know the why, right? We you hear about the why, like, Hey, we need to know this because you know, it's the same thing like in our business, like you have to track your time because that's how we bill. And that's how we make sure that we're staying, you know, doing all the work and being good stewards of what our clients are entrusting us to. So part of the job description. Good stuff. Yeah. I like that. 
Uh, is there anything you see? You, you mentioned uh, it's definitely a pay-to-play market with the Google and Facebook guys, and, and you got to understand that if you're going in. Are there any other trends uh, or any, anything else you see that's going to be particularly challenging for small business over the next, say, 12 months or so? Well, well like there's these, you know, like the, the big businesses are spending so much on ads. And so, like, I think you have to really identify your customer. You know, like you have to know those personas that you're, you know, trying to reach out to so that you can, like, you know, hyper, hyper target them. Um, and, you know, other businesses are just putting huge sales teams out there to, like, kind of just, you know, bombard. So you have to, like, work on your messaging in that regard. I think you have to have those communication points. And that's why I think text message is, like, probably the most under-leveraged tool because people are like oh we never got their cell phones we don't want to bug them they don't you know but like if you don't want to bug them someone else is going to bug them so like <laughs> you know like and they're right. so like you got to ask like hey what's the best way to communicate with you and like rather than asking like hey um do you want us to text you it should be like hey are you okay with us texting you because that's the best way for us to get xyz mm-hmm. information to you in a prompt matter so you can make an informed decision and buy rather than just saying like do you want to text yes or no saying like hey we would like to text you because of this 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 is that okay you know so it's like much easier to get like so like just that that language can make a a big difference you know and same like just same thing with like email emails are getting you know bombarded you know like there's so many emails and unfortunately that's eventually going to happen to our text messaging because the way it seems like the laws are changing and stuff like that but get ahead of that i think you know get the the cell phones communicate with them because i mean everyone has their cell phone around them i mean i i work off an ipad some so much sometimes i don't even check my laptop for a day right. you know mm-hmm. so so it's you, you got to get to that route i think would be a big a big thing there awesome well kyle it's been uh i've learned a lot i got yeah. a lot of notes here in front of me <laughs> so i uh, really appreciate you bringing your knowledge and expertise and your stories um it's been a fun interview we we talked about it before you came down and we're like this is gonna be a fun one we were really looking forward to it so thanks for coming oh down. yeah thanks thank for you being a part yeah. of it's been great all right well we will see you guys next week when we uh we do another episode. I don't even know what it's on, Cameron. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll you find know out. Next <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, until then, take care, and we'll see you back here next week.